Good morning. It is so good to be here and to be able to have the privilege to share God's word with you. My name is Brandon Holbrook and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I get to oversee life groups and equip classes and things that we do for adults. And uh, as always, I love the opportunity to share with you guys from up here. We've been in a series called What Christ People Do. And we are working through our six characteristics of a fully devoted follower of Christ. We started this year with looking at worship. And we spent three weeks talking about the importance of worship. That you were created by God to worship. You're made for worship. Everybody worships something. And we're called to worship God. Over the past couple of weeks, Pastor Dennis has talked about connect. He first talked about how you are called and created to connect with God. And that God makes that connection possible for you through his son, Jesus Christ. And last week, we talked about connecting with one another. Because we have connected with God, because we've been brought into his family, now we have this huge extended family, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are called to connect with. And we looked at a lot of one another's. And scripture in the New Testament talks a lot about one anothering each other in the body of Christ. And so when Dennis said, that I would have this week, the last week of Connect, I begin praying and thinking about what do you want me to say today, Lord? What is it that we need to hear about connection that maybe we haven't talked about yet? And I think there's one more piece for a fully devoted follower of Christ when it comes to connection. Because we're connected to God and to each other, we are then called to connect with those outside of the family. We are called to go, not to stay here. If you think about it, I think that's why we are still on this planet. After all, why did God leave us here? He has rescued me. He has saved me. I experienced his salvation. And in heaven, I'm going to have a complete connection with him. Why didn't he just beam me up? Right? You get saved and boom, you're up in heaven with God. Wouldn't that be nice? All of life's problems are gone. But we're still here. And I think it's because God has a mission for us. For you and I, on this earth, to be part of his redemptive work, to help rescue, to help reach his lost children who are still disconnected from him. It's why we're here. It's the purpose he has given us. So we're going to talk about connection, not just inside, but outside. Connecting to those who are different than you. We're going to be in a passage in Luke chapter 8. But before I read it, I want to set this passage up for you. In Luke chapter 8, um, it's going to, this story we're looking at is taking, a, taking place around the Sea of Galilee. And while I was in Israel, we got to stay on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Beautiful lake. If you went there, like the few of us who had the privilege of going, man, you would, you would love it. You would say, this makes sense why Jesus picked this place. I mean, the water is clear. It's running off of the, the mountains. So it's just like snow melt and it's spring fed. And you can go into this lake and look down and, you, you know, five, six, seven feet just crystal clear. Mountains and cliffs on the sides. Farmland, green. I mean, this is a beautiful place. This is where Jesus would spend most of his time while he was on earth. 75% of the miracles you read about in the New Testament that Jesus performed were going to be around just this little lake. It's not real big. It's something like 8 by 10. 
So calling it a sea is maybe misleading. It's much more of a lake. But that's where this story takes place. And what's interesting about this lake is that it's really divided, at least in Jesus' day, in two people groups. The north and the west was where the Jewish people lived. If you were Jewish, that was your town, your cities, your families, the town of Capernaum that you read about much in the New Testament where Jesus spent a lot of time is up in that area. And some others, Tiberius and, and some others that you read about where Jesus says he was going from town to town are on that northwest side. But there's another side to this lake, and that would be the southeast. And if you were a good Jewish boy, you knew you didn't go to the southeast corner of this lake. You were raised like Peter on the lake, and I'm sure his parents would tell him, now Peter, when you go out in your boat today, don't go to that other side. We know the kind of people that live over there. That's the Decapolis, the Greco-Roman world. They don't have synagogues like we have here on the Jewish side. They have temples built to Pan, the god of the underworld. They have temples built to Zeus, all these false gods. Horrible things, Peter. They talk different than us. They eat different than us. They dress different than us. Whatever you do today, Peter, don't go to the other side. And I don't want to hear from John's parents that you went, okay? Because they were, they were all on the sea, hanging out, growing up together. Well, I started thinking about that and the biases that can creep into our lives. When we think about going to the other side, sometimes there are some people that we've written off, that in our heart we've just kind of dismissed. And I didn't have to think long about a time in my life where there were some people I had dismissed, I had written off. You see, I grew up in, the, in Appalachia in, in the hills of Kentucky, and I lived on a one-street neighborhood. <clears throat> and I lived on the first half of this neighborhood, which I thought was where all the normal people lived, because that's where I lived. And if you went up the, what I called the holler, if you went up far enough where the pavement stopped, and now you're on gravel, well, you were entering a different territory. Those people were different than me. They looked different. They drove faster. You know, these, the kids of, of the people up the holler, by the time they were in fifth grade, they had a full-fledged tobacco addiction. They were spitting and smoking like you wouldn't believe. And so my mom would tell me, and my brothers, don't go up the holler. Don't go up there, sons. Stay away from those people. So in my heart, I just... You just kind of wrote those people off. They're different. They're less educated. They're more poor. And my heart became hard towards them in some ways. Maybe you can think of some people in your life where you've written them off. You've just kind of cast them aside. You said, ah, I'm not going to care about them. They're too different than us. They think different than me. They talk different. The things they care about are far different than the things I care about. So you know what? I'm just going to put them aside and not worry about them. So this sets up our story. And you'll find out, you'll see why this is such, such an incredible story as it opens up with what Jesus tells his disciples to do in Luke chapter 22. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Now in one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat, and he said to them, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. 
Now you know why that is such an incredible phrase in this story. He's looking at a bunch of disciples who have been fishermen on this sea, who have been growing up saying, you don't go to that side. And Jesus looks at them and says, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they launched out. What would you have felt if you were a disciple? Your whole life you've been told, you don't do this. You don't go over there to those people. Stay away. Those are the heathens. And Jesus looks at you, your rabbi, the person you've devoted your life to, and he says, okay, guys, let's go over to the other side. What do you think? What do you think? Are you with me? Well, I think that one of the first things that I notice about this passage that I want you and I to take away is that you hear his voice and you follow. The disciples were connected to Jesus. They were right there so they could hear his voice. They could hear what God was saying to them. Let's go to the other side. You hear me? I want you to go to the other side. And maybe in your own life, you've heard his voice. I'm guessing you have if you're a follower of Christ, where he has said, I want you to go and share with that person. I want you to go and pray for that person. Or maybe you're in a restaurant and you just feel God tap on your shoulder and say, would you just ask this waitress if she needs prayer? Would you do that? Would you step out and do that? Maybe it's somebody at work that you know they desperately need God. And God's been tapping you on the shoulder say, let's go. Come on. Let's go. We can do it. I'm going to go with you. My question is, what have we done? How have we responded? You first hear his voice. You're first connected. And the next part is, in that passage, it says they launched out. They launched out. Sometimes we hear his voice. You know, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice. I believe we hear his voice. The next question is, when we hear it, do we go? We've all heard it. We've all been prompted by the Holy Spirit to say, okay, God, I hear you want me to do something here. You want me to go there. You want me to send a text, to make a phone call, to write an email, whatever it is. I hear you. Will we go? Will we follow his voice? Isn't that the hardest part? It's when some things creep in, right? Some fear creeps into your life to hold you back. You begin wondering, what will they think? I mean, if I ask this waitress if she wants prayer, uh, you know, she's busy after all. I'm, she's got all kinds of tables. She doesn't have time for prayer. And, and you know, she may, she may not care about God. She may reject us. What if she spits in our food? You know, we begin thinking all kinds of thoughts that can hold us back, that can keep us on shore and never launch out to the person God has called you to. And that's fear. If you're wondering, is this God's voice? Well, I can tell you the enemy has never sent somebody to tell others about Jesus. Never. Okay? So if you're wondering, as you're sitting there, or, or you're at your office, and you're got, you feel that voice like, go talk to that person, and you're wondering, is that you, God, or is that the enemy? You can rest assured, you can rest assured, 
That's the voice of God speaking to you. Now, here's what I love, is that in this passage, he says, let us go. You're not going alone. You often think, or you often may feel that God is sending you out on your own. But God never sends you on your own. Never. It's always a let us go. It's always a come with me. I want to go here that he's telling me. You're never doing this on your own. So the question is, how do we respond? Will we respond? When we hear his voice, will we have the courage to go? I love the example in Isaiah. And the Lord's talking and the Lord says, who will I send? And Isaiah responds, here I am, Lord, send me. And I just think, that's the attitude, that's the response we need to have, right, God? Here I am, send me. I'll go. Whatever it is, I'll go because I know you're going with me. As I was preparing this, one of the things God put on my heart was to say, we need to be sure, though, we're going for the right reasons. We're going because we love these people and God loves them. And we're going because we're connected to him. Jesus says that if you love me, you will obey my commands. We're obeying the voice of our Savior, not out of um, guilt or shame or trying to prove to Jesus we're worthy of him saving us. We're going because we love him. That's it. That's the only reason, that is the only fuel in the fuel tank that will work here, is we're going because we love Jesus. And because we love Jesus and Jesus has done a work in our heart, we want that for every single person on this planet, just as God does. We go because we love Jesus. Jesus is ready and he is with you. He is the one who does the work after all. You realize that? That you and I can't save anybody. The disciples in this story can't do anything on their own own power. But it is Jesus and Jesus alone who does the work. As the story continues in verse 23, But as they were sailing along, Jesus fell asleep. And a fierce gale of wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. They came to Jesus, and they woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped, and it became calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? They were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey. You see, when we go, we have to rely on the power of Jesus. Have to. It's no coincidence, in my opinion, that the very first time Jesus is taking his ministry to the Gentiles, to the other side, that a huge storm hits. They're halfway there, and something happens. They're on their way to take the ministry of Jesus to the other side for the first time. And one of the most fierce storms that these fishermen had ever seen comes upon them. And it got me thinking, how often 
Do you and I, we get ready to go. We hear God's voice and we're responding. And while we are going, something happens. A storm happens of some sort. You get a call and a child is sick and needs to be picked up from school. You're going and all of a sudden your car starts falling apart. It had been working fine for years, but on this particular trip, something happens. It, it, it almost never fails. And the question is, how do you respond to that? What do you do when that happens? Do you turn back around like the disciples wanted to? We can't make it past this. We don't have time. We don't have the power. We don't have the ability. We better head back. This is a bad idea, Jesus. And my mom told me we should never go here to begin with. How do we respond? And Jesus is right there with us. And he's saying, I've got this. If I am calling you to go, know that I will get you to the other side. I have a plan. I have a plan here. Trust me. Rely upon me, not on your own self. I like to fly as long as it's a smooth flight. Anybody else with me? I, I'll tell you, when I'm up in the air and, and the captain comes over and, and over that little intercom thing and you get the little the ding of the seatbelt and the captain says, you know, remain in your seat. We're about to experience some turbulence. I get a little nervous, honestly. <laughs> I start praying every time. God, is this it? And then you start hitting some bumps. And I thought, oh, Lord, what are we doing? Are we going to make it? And if it gets bumpy enough... I've had this thought, pray for me, because I've really had this thought. If the plane goes down, Lord, is it better for me to stay buckled up and, and, and hunch down in my seat, or should I try to jump out of the plane right before it hits the ground? I don't know. What should I do, Lord? What's the... And then I remember, they have checked and double-checked. I have forgotten the power of the plane that's carrying me. The very thing that carries me has the power to get through this storm. And as you're on your way and you encounter a storm, you have to remember that the very thing that's carrying you has the power to get you through the storm. It has the power to get you through the other side. Because God has a plan and you're part of it and you're part of his rescue and he's going to take you over there and he's going to do things that you couldn't do on your own. He's going to get you through things you couldn't get through on your own. He's working his redemption plan, and you and I get to be part of it. Isn't that incredible? I think it's absolutely amazing that God would choose us, some broken people, to be part of his redemption plan. The great thing is, you know, it doesn't have to be a big deal. It can be as simple as one of these cards. You guys had these in your seats? These are just one another cards. These are to be used as you're going through your day, and when God taps you on the shoulder, hey, would you bless that person? Would you bless them in some way and hand them this card? Would you do that? It, it can be that simple that can make a difference. They can start something in a person's life. It can start as a little seed and it can grow into a huge oak tree of righteousness. It doesn't have to be a big, grandiose, let me walk you through the Romans road. 
It, it can be something very simple. And every follower of Christ, because we have the power of Christ in us, can do this. This is for all of us. <clears throat> well, as the story continues, we know that they get to the other side. And when they get there, uh, there's a demon-possessed man running around who seems uncontrollable. He's got chains on his arms and legs that he has broken through. So he just has the remnants and you don't know where the other pieces are. And this is in an area where there are lots of, it's a kind of a graveyard type area on the shore. And I would imagine that if you're one of the disciples, you're looking at this thinking, oh man, now I know why mom said not to come over here. These people are weird. But you have Jesus with you. And Jesus is going to free this man. And he looks at him and they have this exchange. And Jesus says, yeah, you're legion. I know who you are. And a legion represented 6,000 Roman soldiers. So Jesus is saying that, yeah, this, there's not just one demon in you. There's 6,000. 6,000. You're a Gentile possessed by 6,000 demons. If there was anybody outside of God's grace, it probably would have been that guy. If there was anybody that Jesus or God would have written off, it probably would have been that person. I mean, you think about that. And yet Jesus heals and he sets free and he restores him. He casts the demons into the swine and the swine go and they're drowned. And as I read this story, I, this question came to me. Jesus, why did you go to the other side at this particular time and do this particular miracle? You could have done any miracle you wanted, but you had to have a reason to go knowing that when you went this time, at this particular day, you would encounter a demoniac. Why? Why then? I think Jesus was wanting his disciples, and he's wanting you and I to see something about what he's doing. You see, earlier, he had been in Capernaum, and in Capernaum, in the synagogue, there was a demoniac. So think about this. He had been with the Jewish people in the synagogue, and in the Jewish synagogue, there was a demoniac. And Jesus had healed and set him free. And Jesus looks at his disciples, and he's wanting them to get this. Look, my ministry, I came to this earth not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. My ministry is for every single person on earth. You see, another miracle Jesus would do on the Decapolis side is he would feed 4,000. So we know we have this story where Jesus feeds 5,000 on the Jewish side. He gets in the boat, and he's going to later be in the Decapolis again, and he's going to feed 4,000. When he fed the 5,000 on the Jewish side, there were 12 baskets left over. Now, we know there were 12 disciples, but I think the bigger picture here was there was a basket representing every tribe of Israel. My ministry, Jesus is saying, I am big enough, the bread of life, for every tribe of Israel. So when he goes over to the Decapolis, to the other side, to those people, he feeds 4,000. When they finish feeding 4,000 and they gather the leftovers, they had seven baskets left. And I had always wondered why seven. In my mind, I had just kind of settled on the idea that that was the perfect whole number, and so... 
It, it is what it is. It was just seven baskets. But I learned something. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1, and in other parts, but this is where we really see it very clear, when it lists the Gentile nations, it lists seven. Throughout the Old Testament, many times it lists, it lists seven. And in particular, in, particularly in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus is going to make a statement to his disciples and say, Look here, I didn't come just for you. I came for them too. I came for the people you wrote off, that you've discarded, that you said could never be God's people. I don't write anybody off. The bread of life is enough for everyone. There is enough for every single person. There's enough for the person that you have maybe discarded in your life or the person that you've been avoiding to tell about Jesus in your life or the person you think cannot be saved because of all the things they've done. There's enough of the bread of life. Jesus is big enough. His ministry is for every single person. As I've thought about this, I thought of a story of a friend of mine named Sam in high school. <clears throat> and Sam was the most athletic kid I think our high school had ever seen. He was a few years younger than me. Um, but by the time he was a junior in high school, he was having top-level Division I colleges call about his athletic ability. Uh, he was, had a real shot of being an Olympic athlete um, in track and field. He was unbelievable. But Sam didn't know the Lord. And Sam began to drift and to do the things of the world. He got involved in partying and all that that entails, some alcohol and some drugs. And so his track career was just sidelined. It was derailed. And when I went to school, to college in Oklahoma, it was interesting. The only connection that we ended up having in Oklahoma was Sam's uncle lived out there by the college. It was kind of a weird, one of those weird things that you find out in a small town, like, hey, my uncle lives out there. And so when I went out there, Uncle Austin hooked me up with a job and, uh, he would periodically stop by, and then he would want to give me an update on Sam. Now, I knew, because I stayed in touch with people back home, I knew what Sam was up to. But Uncle Austin would often say, now, Brandon, I really think the Lord's doing something in Sam's life. And in my head, I would think, I don't see it. I don't think so. <laughs> Not what I'm hearing. I don't see anything about the Lord in Sam's life. Or I'm not hearing anything about the Lord in Sam's life. And in fact, one time Uncle Austin stopped by and he was just really heavily burdened for Sam. And he said it again, just, man, Brandon, I, I really think the Lord is doing something in Sam's life. And those thoughts that I'd had about, I don't think so, you know, he's too far gone, I'd written him off. It just kind of accidentally came out. I said, really? Almost like, I'm, I'm shocked. I don't think so. And he looked at me, and he said, Brandon, I have to believe that the Lord would not give up on Sam. I have to believe that we have a God who will continue working, even when we can't see it. 
And I remember that in that moment, God just tapped me on the shoulder and he said, do you hear that? Did you get that? Because you've given up. Because in high school, when I knew Sam and when I was a follower of the Lord's, I was praying for Sam on a regular basis. But he had been out of my mind for so long. I went to college. You know, he had been so far gone, I'd just given up. But I knew that Uncle Austin didn't. And he prayed. And he would continue praying. Last week, I got a call from Austin. And I missed it. I was so bummed. But he left me a voicemail. And as I heard this voicemail, I was in my office and and tears just kind of filled my eyes. And I want you to hear it. So listen. And maybe you know about Sam. But uh, he's got him a church there in Chillicothe, Ohio, and uh, he's um, um, really into the Lord, Brandon, if you can believe that one. Uh, it takes the Lord to change people's lives, and boy, has he gotten a hold of Sam. Isn't that amazing? Is there somebody in your life? that's near and dear to your heart, that maybe you've discarded. Maybe you've just said, I I don't think God's doing anything and I've given up. I think God's calling you and I to go. We're going to rely on His power and He's going to do the work, but He's calling us to go, to mobilize us, all of us. The other thought I want to share with you is that maybe you have believed you can't be saved. You believed a lie that you've committed something that is far greater than what God can forgive. And I want you to know that God can free and heal and forgive the demoniac, the drug addict, and he can forgive you and restore you. I want you to hear that. He can restore you. He desires that relationship with you. What's God saying to you today? Who's God putting on your heart? If he's not putting somebody upon your heart, ask him to. Ask him to show you. What I have found is as I ask, he begins to show me. He opens doors when I say, God, today I'm yours. And use me however you wish. It's amazing. I was getting my hair cut yesterday and a door opened. It's amazing when you just say, God, I'm yours. I want to be on mission for you to help redeem people because I love you and I love them. And every single one of us can do this. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you did not give up on us. God, I thank you that you went to the other side, not just for the demoniac, but for me. Truth be told, I was born on the wrong side of the lake as well. And you went there for me. Father, I ask you right now, 
if there's somebody in here who doesn't know you, that you would call them home and they would hear your voice. They would be able to experience your forgiveness for the first time. They would be healed and set free and given new life. And right now, if that is you, would you just slip your hand up if for the first time you want to experience the love of Christ to say, I need you and I have thought I cannot be forgiven, but now I know that I can. If there's anyone in here, would you just slip your hand up and slip it down so we can pray for you? Anyone at all? And Father, we pray that as we leave today, we would live the calling you've placed upon us. We would live on mission for you. God, just as that demoniac was healed and set free, we know that you sent him back into his town to tell others what you've done in his life. And that is all we have to do, Lord. We just get to tell others what you have done in our life. And we thank you that you've done a work in our life, that you have rescued us, that you've adopted me as your own child. Lord, would you put somebody on every person's heart here? There's too many children in this city disconnected still from you. We want to be on your mission. We want to rely on your power. We want to believe that your ministry is for every single person, Father. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.